Welcome to Light of the World. This is a ministry of St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I am Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza. Uh, I'm not here with my typical colleagues. You'll probably remember if you've seen us before, both uh, Tom and Ben. Um, but I am here with Brad Perry, who keeps us going behind the scenes. And uh, not only does he take care of us during the shows, but he edits and puts us, he posts the shows for us. But I am also here with a very special guest today. I'm here with Reverend Simon Folkmar. And Reverend Folkmar is a Lutheran pastor in Germany. Uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, is part of the International Lutheran Council um, it's an international uh, consortium association of Lutheran synods throughout the world that are of the same confession and practice. One of those uh, bodies out there that we're in fellowship with uh, is the um, Independent Evangelical Lutheran Church of Germany. And uh, Simon Folkmar, Pastor Folkmar, is a pastor um, at the large the church of the large, I didn't get this right. The large church. The large church of the cross in Hermannsburg, Germany. And uh, we are thrilled to have you, Pastor Simon. And uh, thank you for joining us. I, I should mention one other thing to be fair to our audience. Uh, Pastor Folkmar uh, also happens to be my son-in-law. Yes, I did give him my blessing to marry my daughter, Danielle. They're coming up on their 10 year anniversary. I just can't believe it, 10 years. And um, they have three beautiful children, uh, my grandchildren. Uh, Noah is soon to be six, right? And then Emily just turned four. And then Lucas is just a baby and he's doing, he's already army crawling. And uh, boy, he's got some lungs and some vocal cords. But they're here visiting, and I didn't want to miss this chance truly to be blessed to have Pastor Folkmar because um, there's some there's a very serious and important ministry happening uh, with the uh, Independent Evangelical Lutheran Church in Germany because um, most of the church in Germany, I understand, has gone the way of the state church in Germany. Pastor Folkmar, welcome to the show, but would you start off by telling us just some basics about um, the church in Germany that you serve and um, just to help our audience know more about confessional Lutheranism in Germany today? I would love to do that. So much fun to be on the show. Yeah. I feel a little bit like a movie star with all those lights in my face and I'm a tiny bit nervous, but I know I'm good hands with you. Oh, yeah. I always I always uh, joke that I'm one of the few Germans who really loves to visit his parents-in-law um, oh. just because of the nice weather in California. No, no. Uh, just, just kidding. It's always fun being around you guys and we really appreciate being here. It's so great to here. have you. And also now that you have the chance to talk on your podcast. Well, it's great to have you. And I'm sure you've noticed that uh, on a regular basis, I try to keep you up to date on my on my dad jokes. And you're one of the few people who has a real appreciation for, for dad jokes. So we, we really get along that way. So thank you for... Yeah. We, we were actually discussing that, whether yeah. at the end of the show, we should start a new segment where we tell jokes. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I so this is a suggestion from my son-in-law and I'm still thinking about it, but since you brought it up, I'll just share with the audience today that my, uh, my grandson, 
um, Noah is a real big fan of Star Wars. And so recently we, we mailed, we, we made an order uh, that came through Amazon for some uh, uh, lightsabers. And so we're doing the lightsaber thing. But um, my grandson uh, let me in on a couple of jokes. Uh, one of them is, um, uh, do you know how Darth Vader likes his coffee? On the dark side, of course, right? And then the other one I think is, um, uh, wh why does, uh, wah, wah, <laughs> why, why does Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, like gum? No, no, that's, that's wrong. Your grandson would be very disappointed. You already told the first joke wrong oh, because right. it goes, why does Darth Vader like chocolate? Oh, chocolate. How does he like his chocolate? On the, dark side. on the dark side. Okay. So the other one is yes. this one. Why does Han Solo like Oh, Han Solo. Like gum? Not Obi-Wan Kenobi. What am I saying? Wait for it. Because it's chewy. Why does Han Solo like gum? Because it's chewy. Okay, very good. Okay. Well, we will think about making this a regular well, part. That <laughs> <laughs> but tell us, tell us more about yeah. what's going on out there in Germany. Yeah, I'm not a pastor for too long. Mm -hmm. I still sometimes have have it happen to me that I like visit someone for the first time yeah. and they look at me very estranged. Why this young man is in front of the door? And then I'm always, I'm always saying, "Oh, I'm the pastor," and the people. Are, Ah, okay. So I'm a pastor now for three years in, in Hermannsburg. And before that, I studied theology, um, the way you do it in Germany. That's usually a six to seven year program. I started studying at the seminary that my church has. Um, in Germany, it's called Selbstständige Evangelisch-Lutherische Kirche, which is short Zelk. I'll just talk about Zelk in this podcast. So mm. this is then my, my church there. Sister Church of the LCMS, the Zelig. And um, they have a small seminary in Germany in Oberursel, it's close to Frankfurt. Big mm -hmm. airport usually fly into Frankfurt if you visit Germany. And there I studied um, theology, started studying there. Um, then I did a year in the United States, which was for a lot of reasons a really great time. Mm -hmm. Had a great time. I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Concordia Theological Seminary, learned a lot, um, met a bunch of great people. Didn't meet my wife there but in Chicago, just at the end of my studies. And yeah, that a was a life changer. That was providential. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I think back on that, and, and I know you you learned of a church in Chicago that was offering a divine service in German, right? Indeed, yeah, they, I was invited to preach for a Good Friday. Wow, yeah. yeah. And that happened, sure. that happened to be close by to the University of Chicago where my daughter was attending. And that's where you met. And, yep. and I, I think there were some uh, ladies in the church who helped arrange for you to maybe be at the same social function. And, and one, one led to the other. It's amazing how that works you out in what, the church. You know what? Because we're now on the internet, I guess we have to talk about that. I, I, I thought, oh, this pretty young lady, I should ask her out some way. So I go to her at the end. I gather all my strength and try to be brave and ask her, yeah. hey, I'm really new to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe show me the, the town a little That's bit? That's a good approach. You know what your yeah. daughter said? What? No, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But then she said, okay, but I can show you my campus. 
because she was very hard working and hard studying at the time. And then yeah, that's dedication. She, she gave me two of the campus. That is dedication. And now we but have three. at least you got something. You yeah, got and that. now we have three children. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we should mention a good friend, Jacob Gaugert, because he was yeah. a pastor and he invited me to preach, and yeah. through him we met, which was yeah. Yeah, Real blessing. Uh, yeah, Jacob Galbert. He's a wonderful uh, pastor, and I, I know that he was. I think was offering services there in Chicago in Spanish and German and English, and mm -hmm. just does amazing job uh, to the glory of God. So, so part of your train your training, uh, Oberusel in Germany, but you would go offsite, and you came to America for the one year at Concordia Theolo Theological Seminary, where I also attended. Um, but then I understand when you went back, you got to study at different campuses in German, Germany too, right? Indeed, that's uh, how our studies are set up because the seminary in Oberwiesel is relatively small. We have five professors and around 20, 25 students. Okay. So they really encourage you to also get a little bit out and study at other universities for gotcha. like a couple of years. So I studied a year in Berlin and a year in Leipzig where they have two big theological faculties. Yeah. So that was then State Church. That's yeah. uh, done by state church professors. And then mm -hmm. I came back, um, did two more years uh, at the seminary, um, mm -hmm. graduated, yeah. and then I was a vicar for two years in yeah. Düsseldorf, a German city. It's fascinating uh, comparing what you just described to what we do in America. Uh, in, in our traditional track, uh, we, um, the candidate will earn the bachelor's degree, but then go to seminary, which is on, only a, a four-year program. Yeah two years in the classroom, the third year's vicarage uh, internship, and then the last year we'd come back, the fourth year, for completing our studies in the classroom. But you described a longer process, and also the vicarage itself is a longer process. I remember when you were in Berlin, uh, one of the times my wife Trace and I traveled to Germany, we got to see you while you were in Berlin. And um, I remember going into um, the, the cathedral in Berlin. That was just uh, an amazing site, but an architecture that was very much influenced by the Prussian Union, I remember. Yeah, yeah. you have there on the one hand uh, Calvin, on the other hand Luther to kind of show yeah. that they're both very important and equal. Isn't that um, something? It's, it's interesting. It's Yeah. yeah. I, I remember when, when we walked in there, uh, what he's describing is, is just beautiful, first of all. Architecturally, it's stunning. Uh, in Berlin, and you, you're looking above the altar, and these statues of the figures are, are very large. And, and so you have the Reformation in general being depicted by, I think on the one hand, there's, as you said, Luther, but also like Melanchthon. And then as okay. you said, on the other side, Calvin, but as well Zwingli. And I'm, I'm standing there, this is when I was with my, at this time you were yet to marry Danielle, right? You were still... Indeed, yeah, we, yeah, were, yeah. we were not even engaged. So then. I was still, this is still at the period where I'm giving him a hard time, right? You know, but I'm, I'm looking up and I'm staring at these statues in this beautiful cathedral and I'm, I'm looking and uh, staring and I said, wow, you know, I start to look at Luther's statues because he's holding, he's frequently depicted as holding the, the word of God. And I said, do, do you see him? He's staring at Zwingli. And do you see what's written on the Bible? And, and, and Simon's looking with me. I said, <laughs> I'm trying to keep a straight face. Um, it, it's known in history that when Luther was debating Zwingli, he, he would say, is, this is my body. This is my body. Of course, I was just pulling his leg. He didn't actually have that inscribed in the statue, but... Um, it reminds me of the compromises that they were trying to make 
uh, during the Prussian Union. But keep going. Tell us, keep telling us about um, the the Selk. Yeah, it, it's actually interesting that we're talking about Berlin kind of like randomly, but it has a lot to do with the history of the Selk. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe just to, to finish up my my um, personal uh, way into the ministry. Yes. So I was a vicar. Um, two and a half years in Düsseldorf, already together with Danielle, then your daughter at the time yeah. we were married, our yeah. first two kids were born there. And then 2019, I um, started as a new pastor in this um, town, Hammondsburg. Wow. It's actually not a town, it's more village. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's really small, very rural. You have a lot mm -hmm. of like farmers and a lot of green. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As we were just talking about it, it's actually kind of hard to find a drive-through place because it's so remote. You have to, to travel quite a bit to, yeah. to, to get to one. But yeah, it, it's lovely people. We, we love it there. And, um, and the town has a rich history um, of like yeah. the faith and Lutheranism. Um, yeah. it, it's a beautiful town. Yeah. And, and we still found good eateries there. And they have good ice cream and a good toy store. And I remember some grocery stores, a couple of grocery stores. Um, and of course, your 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 church facility is beautiful. Your sanctuary is gorgeous. Um, and one of the things I, I admire is that from uh, your home to the church, um, in your living room, you can look out the window and see your sanctuary. It's just right there. It's just really exciting to have that proximity. That's yeah. That's really nice, yeah. and that's an, a nice benefit that you have in mm. most churches that the parsonage and the church yeah. are pretty much right next to each other. Yeah. This, yeah, it's a little bit like this. The, mm. the German history in that you know you you had the church, often was one of the first things right um, built, and then the, in the town, the village, and then the pastor lived right next to it. Yeah. A little bit different than here, where people had to, like. Yeah go into undeveloped land and right. start everything from scratch. What I like about your parsonage, though, is that it's kind of across the street from the church. It almost feels like it kind of blends in with the rest of the neighborhood. Yeah. So you have a little distinction and maybe maybe a little more privacy. It's actually the perfect deal. We're really okay. close, but we also have a little bit of privacy. So yeah. when like choir is practicing in church, right. it's not that I can hear them in my <laughs> living room. <laughs> So you've had, you've had the training and now you've been a pastor for three years. Tell us about the congregation itself that you serve. It is a really big congregation, which is a, a little usual for our synod. Usually our congregations are like 200, 300, maybe 400 people. That's most of them. We have a few, like a handful that reached a thousand people. Mm -hmm. um, and among those, uh, the church where I'm serving now is the biggest with 1,600 to so 16,000 church members. That's quite a bit people to take care of. Like I'm still, I don't know all of them by name. Mm -hmm. um, and sadly it's not that everyone is, is attending church. Yeah. Um, but you have 1,600 on the active on, roster. On the roster, yeah. Gotcha. Do, do you have a roster in we the do, States? We, yeah. we do have a roster and we, we do deal with the same phenomenon. Yeah. You have the official roster and then you have the people who regularly attend. Mm -hmm. And it, it is, a, you know, it's a challenge. You want to constantly, as you know, pray, always pray for the people on your roster and try to stay connected with all the people on the roster. But we invariably, as you well know, uh, you know, we innately grow closer to those who attend regularly. Yeah. So on a, on a given Sunday, uh, about how many of the 1,600 will you see? Um, usually around 100. Okay. Which yeah. is still like really solid yeah. for like mm -hmm. our German standards. Yeah. It, it used to be more before COVID, mm -hmm. but like in a lot of other 
places in society, we noticed that COVID changed something. Yeah. Some people are a little more afraid to go out. Some people got older since then and are not as mobile anymore. Some people maybe also notice that it's not so bad to sleep in on a Sunday morning. Um, yeah. yeah, we are struggling a little bit with that. Well, what we, we are too. I mean, before COVID, we were aver averaging between 90 to 100 on a Sunday easily. Yeah. Now, um, since the COVID came and we've gone through it, we're going it's closer to 60 to 70 yeah. on a Sunday. So it has affected all the churches across the board um, in the LCMS and I think in all of America. As a matter of fact, uh, the most recent statistic released by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is that 80% um, of our congregations have declined during this time. And I think one of the reasons, well, some of the reasons you just mentioned, people had just kind of grew accustomed to not coming to church, um, and then others still taking time, maybe out of some concerns they still have about the risk of, um, you know, contamination. Um, but, well, very good. What Tell us about what your ministry is like as you serve the people of your congregation. I mean, one of the reasons I'm asking is because I, I have found it fascinating. One of the things you've shared with me that might be a little unique to the German culture is that on certain occasions of family events, people have the expectation of their pastor to do certain things. Mm -hmm. can, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? It's really interesting to see what we have in common Yep. like our faith, the Lutheran confessions, yep. the community of faith that's shared around the whole world. Amen. Um, but then to see how also our distinctive cultures, the societies we live in, influence our ministry. Mm -hmm. And there are a few interesting differences between the United States and Germany. Mm -hmm. um, I would say one thing is if you ask Germans, is Germany a Christian country? I think most everybody would say no, it's not anymore. Some people think that's a good development and they're, they're happy that we left the whole faith thing behind and that we live now in a pluralistic society where everyone can have his own beliefs. Some people are maybe, maybe a little sad about it, that we lost something, that it's not commonly shared anymore, that we all believe in Jesus Christ. Um, but in the last decade, for the first time, the nuns, so the people who don't identify with any religion right. are the, the strongest population in Germany. If you go by denominations, if you count... Protestants and Catholics together, yeah. that they're around 40 million. Um, mm -hmm. The nuns are 30 million. Wow. Yeah. But if you split them up by denominations, the nuns yeah. are the biggest denomination right now. It's a growing subcategory in America, there's no doubt about it. And that really influences uh, my mm -hmm. ministry and a lot of other people's ministries. Mm -hmm. Another difference is the size of our senates or church bodies. The Lutheran Church Missouri Senate has like 2 million, something around that. Right? Yeah, we're. We're just under yeah. that now. Yeah. Yeah. Just under that. We we were saying a little more than we went to two. And we're about one point something now. Okay. But yeah, yeah. It's under two. While we have on paper 30,000 people. Okay. So we're way, way smaller, mm -hmm. even for, for German standards. So if you see all the stats, like mm -hmm. how many denominations there are, we don't even show up because we're so small. For, for Germans, they usually think there are like two kinds of churches there's the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And there is the um, Protestant state church. Mm -hmm. They heard maybe some sometimes they've heard something about Lutheranism, but mm. they can't really put it in any category. They oh. just know. I mean, I often get asked why I can be married 
if mm. I'm a pastor. So because yeah. people have just have heard, okay, there's some churches and the, the pastors yeah. don't uh, marry, right. so they don't even really know the distinction wow. between Roman Catholic and Protestant. That's yeah. a little challenging. So so we work under under these circumstances that a lot of pe- people have the feeling that the church is decreasing, mm-hmm. it's losing its importance in society mm-hmm. um, it's not really a, a big player anymore mm-hmm. also COVID was part of that that mm-hmm. um, you didn't really hear the voice of the church yeah. at that point um, how do you feel about that I mean you know when personally whenever I hear that uh, what you've just described which I think is describing reality throughout the world uh, unless we're in some of these surging third third world co- countries that have seen enormous growth in the church but certainly in America, we see the decline of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. I hear the words of our Savior speaking to his disciples, have no fear, little flock, for the Father has given you the kingdom. Um, he never promised us to be large, necessarily. Certainly, we should seek to grow the kingdom and be faithful to the Great Commission. But oftentimes, we're described as being kind of in the minority group as Christians, right? It really depends on my mood that day. <laughs> you know, sometimes um, it really depresses me yeah. to, to see, wow, there's so many people that we could reach yeah. and there's so many good friends, people in your neighborhood yeah. that are like good loving people, but they, they don't believe. Yeah. And it's hard to reach them. Yeah. It's, it's not so much that they have never heard about Christ. Yeah. It's more that they don't have, they have the feeling he has nothing really to offer. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, sometimes that that's like makes me sad, and sometimes I'm also a little afraid for the future of my congregation, mm-hmm. for my future. You know, will I be a pastor mm-hmm. still in yeah. in forty years, or do I have to mm-hmm. s- switch careers at some point? That's going on sometimes. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I also think it helps the church to really focus on what's most important. Yeah. Um, sometimes we get lost in culture wars and in other things we have to the feeling we have this church have to influence politics or something Mm -hmm. that's not even an option for us and and generally not for the church in germany um Mm -hmm. but even less for us is is that like we're so small um we know really our task is to bring christ to the people major and majors yeah and then and then these uh like words of scripture that talk Mm -hmm. about you know if two or three people are gathered in my name have no fear little flock stuff like that is really encouraging no, thank you for being so open about how we can feel and feeling discouraged sometimes. Uh, by the way, this was kind of the perfect segue for season two of Light of the World. Um, we're about to wrap up season one, next couple episodes when we get um, Tom and Ben back here. But the next season is going to be dedicated to the outline of the book, Faith That Engages the Culture which is precisely about the concern that you've expressed, uh, Pastor, about the, uh, the people who basically view Christianity as being irrelevant. Um, you know, it's gotten to the point where uh, one of the things I talk about in that book, in Acts chapter 17, we see three distinct, um, three distinct reactions towards Paul's proclamation of the resurrection uh, when he was at the Areopagus in Athens. And one of them was to deride him and to ridicule him, to mock him. Uh, the other, you had people kind of scratching their chin saying, hmm, maybe I'll hear a little more. And the third was to believe. Well, in the book, I suggest there's really kind of a prevalent fourth one. The fourth is, I don't even care. I mean, why is it even important? 
And so with that background um, and that, that insight that is certainly disconcerting, uh, I wrote the book, Faith That Engages a Culture, and we will be talking about that as our outline for season two. But I, what really means a lot to me that as a young pastor, um, you can share these thoughts that I think any pastor, if he's being open and honest, will relate to. Um, but it's so encouraging to know that our Lord Jesus himself had some of these feelings. I mean, when you were saying what you were saying, I thought of John chapter six, and he's, he's teaching the bread of life discourse. I am the bread of life, right? And he's, he's teaching them about what they need to know about him. And as, as you know, Pastor, the, the response of those who heard him said, this is a hard saying, you know, who can believe it? And the vast majority of his disciples turned away and walked, they, they walked away from him. And Jesus is, you, you feel this, this moment, this, this moment of tension. And he's, he's also a man, a true man, what he must have been feeling. He looks up at the disciples who are remaining. What about you? Do you want to leave too? And then Peter speaks up the way he did. Sometimes we have this picture of Jesus that as he got closer to the cross of Calvary, the masses were growing around him. But in actuality, as he grew closer to Calvary, there are more and more people rejecting him. Um, so sometimes it's a lonely road, but it is a road as you went to the second half. I, I love the fact that I, I almost feel a little envious when you were able to say, uh, God has put you in a position in your church body Really, you don't dabble in the politics because, well, you know, how are we going to influence that? But it's almost like providentially he's given you a blessing. I'm going to let you major in majors. Right now, Christianity in America is still strong enough that we have a very substantial Christian nationalist movement that continues to try to influence politics. Well, one of the problems with that is it tempts churches not to major in majors not to focus on the word and the sacraments, but to become more politically act active. But be that as it may, I really appreciate the fact that sometimes um, in our struggles, the Lord, it reminds us, the Lord is actually blessing us. So it's, it's kind of cool that you get to focus on what's really important. And to some degree, that's also relieving, you know? Mm -hmm. I personally, I don't have to struggle. Um, how can we as, Christians influence legislation in Germany or something that's so far away for us. Yeah. I just really can focus on the place where God put me. Yeah. And so if they're my neighbors mm -hmm. and my church, yeah. knowing that not everyone believes, yeah. but trying my best to shine the Christ of light yeah. into my neighborhoods. Amen. There are also some minute practices within the parish. Isn't there a practice where um, when certain um, wedding anniversaries yeah. or um, other family occasions where there's an expectation of the pastor to conduct some kind of rite or blessing? Indeed, um, that's the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, there um, one can see that we're right now, or at least I'm in my congregation, I'm exactly at this crossroad point. Mm -hmm. um, so some smaller Zeta congregations have like a lot of very active members who are deliberately confessionally Lutheran and really want to like serve in their congregation and are very active there. Um, because I'm in such a big congregation where a lot of people traditionally are born into, yeah. but never really had to reflect why they're a church member of that particular church. Yeah. Um, they are not just accustomed to be at that church. And then with those, they 
a lot of my my the people on on my um, roster 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 on my roster mm -hmm. um, they don't attend weekly. But there's certain points in life where they still have like some kind of faint memory. Oh, this is something where we should be should um, be involved in the, in the church life, or we should see the pastor. Mm -hmm. I mean, baptisms that's still very common. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a little like shocked when I ask people. So why why do you want to get kid kid get baptized? And they say. Isn't that the tradition? <laughs> you know, then we have to do a little bit of catechesis, catechesis. and talk about the faith, talk about right. Christ uh, and what the water of baptism in combination with the word actually means. Amen. And that's a good opportunity to teach. Yeah. Um, but they still come, which I'm grateful for. So they have some faint memory, some faint feeling that the church can offer me something that might be helpful to my life. Um, Amen. Then usually we see the, we see the kids for uh, confirmation class. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, a two-year program. Good. Um, we changed that a little bit um, mm -hmm. now. We used to do it once a week, mm -hmm. and we noticed that's uh, relatively ineffective because mm -hmm. kids come from school, they're mm -hmm. tired, mm -hmm. they maybe haven't even had lunch yet, yeah. uh, and then they already have the next appointment, like sports or something in, in the evening. Yeah. Um, so just seeing them that hour is not very fruitful. So mm -hmm. we moved it once a month on the weekend, mm -hmm. so that we really spend the whole day and then also have time to eat together, to pray yeah. together, to have devotions, but to also do, do fun stuff, games, and uh, teach the faith. I'm paying we, attention. I think this is a, a very logical analysis of the situation. I think there's a lot of merit to that, because especially in our busy culture, you're right, we're competing with other other commitments and kids can get tired. Do you also do catechesis for adults? That is not really common. I'm mm. wondering whether that would be good um, mm. to introduce. In our context, the challenge is a little bit that um, you're usually born into the church, mm -hmm. so you have the feeling you're already a member, so you don't need too much additional catechesis. Mm -hmm. And generally, I think that's uh, something we can learn from the Missouri Senate, that there's a mm -hmm. lot of um, emphasis on teaching. We don't really have something like um, Bible studies on Sundays. Mm -hmm. we, um, that's very uncommon. You sometimes have like mm -hmm. um, uh, something throughout the week, yeah. but then it's really your elder core members. Who, yeah, who attend that? Um, I appreciate that. So yeah, we but but this may be something that we should, uh, yeah. should think about more in the future. Uh, well, teaching, no, I, I appreciate that. I, I've you know I've been I've been a you see you've been a pastor now for three years. Um, <coughs> I've been a pastor now for um, I, I can't remember. It's almost thirty two years or something like that. Um, but one of the things I realized, and the challenge of adult catechesis is that the adults are kind of all over the map. In, in terms of how much they're willing to to delve into. So for the first time in my ministry in 32 years, I'm intentionally offering, and I don't even talk about it in this way with my people, I'm just kind of doing it, um, three levels of adult ongoing adult catechesis. One is that we offer a Sunday morning class where I, I literally, literally give an overview of an entire Bible book. You know, it's like, 45 minutes of, you know, this, this Sunday will be Esther. <laughs> um, and so if someone uh, is at the point in their development or their, their walk, and they say, you know, I'm, I'm intimidated to really get into too much study, at least I could do this basic thing. Um, and then for those who want a little more, we have a, an opportunity via media to daily get into the word about three chapters a day and then for someone who really wants to get into the text, we're doing uh, one of the epistles halfway through Romans has taken us um, about three years. Um, 
but I, I offer that because I, I know the challenge um, because people are all over the map. What about evangelization, community outreach? What do you do in that category? Um, what we do a lot is music. That's good. That's a very interesting thing where we notice mm. uh, music is something that connects people and that helps them to come in contact with the faith and also attend regularly. Yeah. Um, it's a big tradition in Germany. It actually started also at uh, the congregation I'm attending to have brass choirs. Wow. That, that play in the church. It's fantastic. Way back when they had a seminary there, yeah. they started to teach their seminary students, and then that then they started to teach the people in the village, and they became a huge success, and mm -hmm. then it spread all over Germany. Mm -hmm. So, funnily enough, the Americans, so like the Saxons, they were already like um, they already left Germany at that time. Oh, really? so it never really came <laughs> over here. I think it's uh, it's it never really made yeah. it to, to the United States. But in Germany, it's very common to have a, a brass choir in the church, and. Um, a lot of younger kids are interested in learning a music instrument, so they start yeah. joining the church. They uh, have we offer beginners classes, and then over the time they they grow into it and they, they yeah. play in the in the service, and it's that's it's wonderful. A really um, blessed ministry. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great connection yeah. because music being a, being a universal language is a great way to connect with yeah. people. I remember one of the times we were visiting. There was almost kind of like a community service gathering outdoors uh, in, in Hermansburg. Um, I can't remember the occasion. Oh, yeah, there was Ascension Day. That's right, right. Yeah. Ascension Day. Yeah. And it was like a large park. And yeah. there, there were a lot of people there. There were a lot of people. Um, that's uh, very common. In our um, town, we have actually three uh, mm -hmm. churches, one state church and mm -hmm. two Zach congregations. Okay. And here and there, there are services that like where we join together, yeah. where we don't have communion, obviously, right. yeah. but where we say we as Christians, we want to uh, share together the faith yeah. uh, for our community. And Ascension Day is one service where we actually do that, where we meet outside. That yeah. also has a big tradition in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in Hermannsburg, um, they had a mission seminary started there and once a year they would have a service outside. That's outstanding. I, I was I was really uh, um, impressed with the community turnout and the sense of cohesion as a community, and I, I respect the fact that you know you 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 kept it. It, it was it was a simple service of the word without going into sacramental uh, compromises, but the people really seemed to get into it. And there was music. I remember yeah. the music portion. It's very very good. And maybe that's something a lesson that we learned uh, in the Zach. Um, we, we stick to the Lutheran confessions mm -hmm. and we uh, want to be want to be faithful to the word. Mm -hmm. uh, but we notice that we're so small. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's good to have friends on the other side. So we really try to to, to look around. Yeah. We are Christians that we share the core values of a faith. Yeah. You know, who, who can confess that Jesus is true man and true God, who mm -hmm. can talk about sin. Um, yeah. And then to to let's let's work together and mm -hmm. try to share. Um, and those things where we have some degree of fellowship, yeah. Very good. Uh, what about your ad administrative responsibilities as a pastor? Uh, do, you, do you have a, a board of, of uh, directors or a parish council that you work with? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, um, that's a little bit different. We uh, usually have only one committee that has like some of the spiritual tasks, but and also administrational tasks. Oh, interesting. We usually call them elders, um, okay. but they're not strictly elders. Like your elders, like mostly have um, a spiritual. Yeah, we function. have two yeah. leadership entities. One is the the board of elders, and they have the spiritual emphasis. 
And then we have the board of directors. They have the administrative emphasis. Uh, to a degree, there's some overlap, but that distinction is very real. It, it makes sense to do that, and I would love it, but mm -hmm. um, it's not really a tradition in the Zelic, mm -hmm. and it's hard enough finding enough elders yeah. <laughs> for, um, yeah. for, for like uh, one committee. So yeah. we have a little bit like mixed together. But the, but I have, I'm, I'm really blessed with great elders. They're oh. very loving, very... That's good. We couldn't do it without our elders. Um, I'm glad to hear that you have that support as well. And especially for young pastor, I think that's yeah. extremely helpful. If you're new in yeah. a congregation, yeah. um, and I lived in cities, suddenly I was in this like small village, yeah. didn't really feel accustomed to to the, the way people live, it's mm -hmm. really helpful having others that you can trust mm -hmm. uh, that um, help you also like navigate a little bit through the complicated things that you face in your sure. first few years as a pastor. Yeah. yeah. What about your uh, divine services? When do you have them? And um, are they, uh, do you use a hymnal? Do you produce a bulletin? Would you tell us a little bit about that? Um, we worship on Sundays. Okay. Oh, that's that's <laughs> good. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was actually a, a, a big debate. We uh, had a long time. The tradition day was at nine thirty, and okay. uh, the elderly folks they loved it because then they could go home, cook their lunch in time, yeah. and then by Germans traditionally eat at twelve, right? Okay. Uh, okay. Right then. Yeah. Not any later. So so they loved it, but um, we. And yeah, because of COVID, we, we changed a little bit, and now we stuck with with ten and the younger folks are very grateful that they can sleep <laughs> half an hour longer in the morning. That's some loving compromising yeah. going on there. Okay, we, good, good, good. Yeah, and we we usually use the hymnal. Okay. Um, bulletins. Some congregations do it, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, we. Um, it's good. Try to avoid printing yeah. it out so much. I've and, I've seen the hymnal, yeah. and uh, what's really awesome is. Even though I don't know German, though I am working on it. Um, Guten Morgen. Uh, <laughs> Guten Morgen. Um, I was impressed with how much of the liturgy you still understand because of the structure of the liturgy, the music behind it. It's just, it, it truly connects us with a greater body of Christ when you stick to that ancient liturgy. Totally apparent when I was there in Germany. Um, well, Pastor Folkmar, I was also very impressed with some of the um, more intensive studies that you conducted while you were in seminary, to the extent, uh, I guess I'll brag a little bit about my son-in-law, uh, to the extent that I know that the, uh, the faculty there were uh, impressed enough to speak to you about the possibility of coming back to teach as a professor. And uh, I know you're very dedicated as a parish pastor, but it it was exciting to see that um, your work was um, appreciated and uh, evidently admired too. And some of the work that uh, Pastor Folkmar was doing was in regards to Herman Sasse. And Herman Sasse was a great uh, confessional Lutheran theologian. And would you, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. Would, would you tell us about Herman Sasse? And so one of the reasons why I was excited about having you on today's show, because I have not studied him as much as uh, I've wanted to. Um, I've In seminary, uh, Sasa was required reading. And then beyond seminary, I've also read some Sasa. But um, some of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest teachers I had at seminary was a, a, a theologian in Kurt Marquardt, 
who was truly influenced by Herman Sasa. And uh, what I got from Sasa through him was indispensable. But you've done more studies. Would you tell us a little bit about who was Herman Sasa, first of all? He was a, a German theologian and um, was a, w a little bit of a weird guy. You can't really put him in a box. He was a, was a confessional Lutheran, but he, um, like to a lot of conservative Lutherans, always were a little afraid that he was too liberal, while the liberals thought he was way too conservative. Um, he's a really interesting guy with an um, interesting history. The first time I actually ever heard about him was in my introduction class to Lutheran theology. And back at the time, I was struggling a little bit with understanding uh, Holy Scriptures, you know, it's inspired by God, but also written by man. How do we work that out? And so my professor back then, Professor Klein, introduced us to Zasse. And that Zasse had this approach. He says, you know, we have a little bit the same problem with, with Christ. Uh, is he truly God? Is he a man? Took the church a long time to really figure it out, out until they realized, okay, he's both. He's truly man and truly God. And you can't, you have to have those distinctions maintained, otherwise it, it gets fuzzy. And Lassa then said, hey, maybe we can use this to understand scripture, that it's at the same time fully the word of God, but also fully the, the word of man. And I was like, wow. And, and ever since then, I've been very um, yeah, interested in Lassa and studying him. And if you then learn about his life, it, it, it's even more interesting because um, he is one of the few people where his teaching and his life really connected and fit, to, uh, fit, fit together. Mm -hmm. Back in seminary, one of our required purchases uh, mm -hmm. from Concordia Publishing House was a series from Sasa. Um, and the first one, volume one, uh, is We Confess we Confess Jesus Christ, and it's a collection of essays um, on uh, Christology, the person and work of Jesus Christ. You mentioned the two natures. And then uh, volume two is We Confess the Sacraments, um, preaching and holy baptism, the Lord's Supper um, that he wrote about in various essays. And volume three is We Confess the Church. So his uh, ecclesiology uh, came out here in this this short volume. There are certain books that have become more or less popular in America in Lutheranism. One of them is the book, uh, This Is My Body, um, where Sasa is, presents Luther's contention for the real presence in the sacrament of the altar, This Is My Body. And another one is a book, um, Here We Stand, which is on the nature and the character of Lutheran confession. Um, so, when it comes to Sasa's teaching, what, why, I mean, b b besides the really exciting example you gave us about, um, well, I, you might know that I, I enjoy referring to these things as dualities, and, and I've, I've, I like to talk about that, but two great examples, you know, within the, um, the person of Christ, truly God, truly man, the, the anthropos, 100% on both sides. But also the 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 word of God, um, we we don't teach a dictation theory um, that God from heaven forced every aspect of what was written, but instead he really worked through the unique personalities of the men, and yet at the same time it is truly the inspired and errant word of God. Um, 
No, that's, can I interrupt you for yeah, a second? There's a thing by Zasa I love so much. He says, there's so many ways of inspiration as we have different kinds of text in scripture. You know, you have, you have poetry, you have historical records, yes. you have creedal confessions. Yeah. And Zasa says, you know, we should take these texts seriously and assume that yeah. maybe the Holy Spirit always yeah. also works a little different. You know, he didn't yeah. say, hey, Paul, I want you to write a letter, sit down, this is what I want you to write. Yeah. But you know, he was working in with and under what Paul was thinking, reflecting, the struggles he was going through. And I really love that about Zasa, that he doesn't start with a theory, yeah. this how it must be, but he, yeah. he always goes back to the scripture and said, hey, yeah. guys, let's really look at it. And then we go from there. I love that. Uh, it makes me very excited. Mm -hmm. A little sneak preview this Sunday here in America, and I understand our liturgical calendars are a little bit different because you were telling me earlier that you have a pre-Lenten season. Mm -hmm. As a result, a few weeks ago, you actually preached on the Transfiguration. Here in America, I'm preaching, we are preaching on the Transfiguration this coming Sunday, which is um, uh, February um, 19th, I think, February 19th. And anyway, the reason I mention this is because of, of the opportunity to bring out the, the both and nature of Christ. The one who would bear our sins on the cross of Calvary is also the one who is glorious, trans, gloriously transfigured. And um, to, I, I thought about, you know, I, you, you approach this, you always want it to be fresh for your people. So it's a brand new sermon. I've never preached it before, even though I've, I've preached on the occasion probably two dozen times. Um, but this time it's interesting you gave us that example because you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the examples from, um, the, um, the apocalyptic genre in scripture, and I'm going to share, I'm going to put them side by side. I'm going to share with the people how Ezekiel presents the glorious Christ, how Daniel presents the glorious Christ, how, um, uh, John in Revelation presents the glorious Christ. And when you see this picture of the glorious Christ, what can possibly stop this one? Not even death. So I, I, I just appreciate so much what you said. It, the Holy Spirit working through all of these authors and all of these genres and all of these styles and all of these cultures, because, well, that's what God does. Now, when it comes to some of the emphasis that we're aware of, um, I think the reason we value Sasa out here in America is because we are seeing, um, we have seen, and I'm sure we will continue to see the temptation to compromise the Lutheran confession. And so he wrote, here we stand uh, on the subject matter, the nature and the character of Lutheran faith. Regarding our confession, how important was that to Sasa? And why is he valuable to us? We have to get a little bit into history for that. Okay. Usually history has the reputation of being entirely boring. Mm. But I think in Sasa's case, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so he started studying theology as a young man, 18 years old, he went to university and he went to the University of Berlin, mm -hmm. where I also studied and where we met. And at that time there was a world renowned theological department but it was very liberal. So the theological liberalism in the 19th century meant um, there was like huge optimism that society will always be, get better and better, that we now figured out our human rights and that we have the enlightenment and now like it only can get better. Gotcha. 
it was a lot of emphasis on like love your neighbor, but not so much on like the supernatural part of scriptures. All those people teaching there, they were really famous. They didn't really believe in the resurrection. They didn't think that it was necessary for Jesus to die on the cross for for the forgiveness of our sins. But that that was just an example how to be a loving person. Sounds like Schleiermacher. Yeah, Schleiermacher was a little before. Um, the the great name back then was uh, was uh, Adolf von Hanag. Had a very like a Lutheran father who mm. was a professor too, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes heaven that sons have to be a little different than their fathers. So yeah, he, and that's uh, a study on under all those people and was like a typical liberal theologian back at the time. And then a big crisis came, World War One. World War One. Yeah, and Zasha actually uh, was enlisted and was fighting, and um, it was a huge t shock to Europe. Back then, people were actually quite excited about the war in Germany because those kids growing up. They were doing well, but they were a little bored. Their parents seemed a little conservative and strict, so they were just happy to get out and have great adventures, and they were in, excited to enlist. And then what they faced there on the battlefield was just terrible. Huh? No one ever could imagine. Like, there was the first really mass war that we had where tanks were used, where uh, gas was used to poison people, and it, it was terrible. And back then, that really changed how people thought about God. Zasse said, in good times you could live with liberal theology, but when you're facing death and destruction and war, you need something solid. Amen. And a lot of people back then uh, went back to the Bible and started really taking it seriously. And uh, also Zasse did that. So, and so there he had a major turn. You maybe want to call it a conversion experience. Mm -hmm. And so for, from then on, he was really interested in biblical theology. And then, fun fact, he went to the United States in 1923 and was very interested in get, getting to know the American culture. And back then, he noticed that there are like, kind of like two things that worried him a little bit in Christianity. On the one hand, liberalism, like he knew from Germany, that didn't take the Bible seriously. But then some kind of fundamentalism that was very like law-oriented, very narrow-minded, kind of had this attitude, we are better than everyone else, and he didn't like that so much, he was critical of that. And so he really got to know Lutheranism here in the States, uh, especially the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and that really shaped his theology from then on. And he started um, getting into the Lutheran Confessions. Wow. And he went back to Germany, and he, he did his dissertation, and um, then became a professor. And at that time, which is Interesting, a lot of people in Germany were very afraid of communism. Hmm. 1917, the communists mm -hmm. took over Russia, the Tsar was like killed, and uh, the, the socialist system was started. Mm -hmm. And in Germany, a lot of people were afraid, especially Christians, that communism, you know, they don't believe in God, it might be harmful to society. Yeah. And then a dude came and said, hey guys, um, I will tra defend traditional German Christian values, you should vote for me. Mm. And that guy was Hitler. Yeah, just a quality candidate, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of people fell for it. They were like, oh, there's someone fighting for us and he will help us. And they didn't really see the, the danger that he brought to Germany mm -hmm. uh, with national socialism. But Sasa did. Sasa did. And that is really, really interesting. He was one of the first theologians in Germany who openly criticized the Nazis. Wow. And he had, he had two points, really, uh, where he said, uh, this is where we cannot go along as Christians. The first thing was he was very skeptical of the the anti the open anti-Semitism that the Nazis um, presented. 
then we were, they said, okay, Jesus, he was a, a, a good teacher, but this whole Old Testament stuff you should get rid of because mm. it's Jewish. Mm. And I said, you cannot do that as a Christian. No way. Our roots are based in Judaism. The whole, whole Old Testament is about Jewish people. Jesus himself was a Jew. We cannot be against Jews. There was this one criticism, and then um, he, by that time, had studied a lot on confession, especially the confession of Christ, that he is mm -hmm. truly man and God, and that he's the Lord over all our life. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he was very, very uh, skeptical with the whole attitude that uh, Hitler presented, at being the leader of the nation, being the savior, being the Führer. And um, Sasse said, it is good to have a strong political uh, leader, but you can't demand that kind of worship and allegiance from your people. Uh, that allegiance mm -hmm. only belongs to Christ. Wow. So yeah, that was really here um, very much ahead of his times. Th this is uh, just a, an amazing uh, summary you've given to us. I'm so inspired by it because it, it really verifies the importance of, of how real life can touch somebody and affect somebody. And you see the theology of the cross working. Yeah. And uh, it reminds me, reminds me too of the judges cycle. You know, when things are like hunky-dory, everything's fine, people start to drift away. And then the Lord in his providential care permits the hard times. And then we have, we have to call on his name. And Sasa became genuine through that. And, um, and, then, and then he became so, so strong as to be able to speak against Hitler. Yeah. Wow, that's just amazing. Um, so needless to say, he was someone who was going to give his life to be faithful in the Lutheran confession and to not compromise it. That's fantastic. How do you see that uh, flowing over to his position on defending the real presence of uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ in with and under the bread and the wine? It's just a little bit. He was writing about the, um, the history here. Uh, this is from, this is my body. If the Lutheran Church today retains with the confessions of the 16th century, the literal understanding of the words of institution, she knows, as did the reformer, Luther, that this doctrine gives the greatest offense to human reason and therefore must meet with the strongest contradiction by the world. Well, this could be said of all the doctrines of the church, especially of such fundamental doctrines as those of the Trinity, the divine human person of Christ and the justification of the sinner by faith alone, the doctrine of the real presence is especially repulsive to large sections of Christendom. Although it must be admitted that the vast majority of Christians throughout the world, Eastern Orthodox, as well as Roman Catholics to mention only these two still accepted as a fundamental article of the Christian faith, Asasa, but he goes on to defend why we must hold on to this ancient confession regarding the supper. And it seems that so much of the Lutheran church in the world, we've let go of this. That was throughout Zasa's life really important to him. And it was sometimes hard to understand for people, um, mm -hmm. especially already um, at the time when the Nazis took over in Germany. Zasse always maintained uh, the position that we have to stick to the Lutheran confessions and we can't compromise here. A lot of people at that time thought that all the uh, well-meaning Christians that were against the German Christian, the Nazi group within the mm -hmm. church, they should all come together and, and a new confession. And Zasse mm -hmm. was always very critical of that. And I think it had for him um, Two, two points. The one point was he was like in time of crisis, 
you should stick with what carried you through the past. You shouldn't come up with anything new. If you have, have to fight a battle tooth and nail, you really want to know where you stand on. You want to have a solid ground um, to hold your stand. Here we stand. And here we stand. And the second part was for him, I think it was really about like, how is God and how do we experience him in our life? And as Lutherans, we would say we have an everyday life God, a God who's not far away, um, but a God that really comes into our life. And Zasa always therefore said, the, the life of the church is here in this world and it's the Lord's Supper. When we join together to worship God, then we don't just imagine that he is there, but he actually comes to us and he unites us. And for him, it, you, he couldn't really see how there can be a church without mm -hmm. the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, because that's where we gather around the Lord. So any attempt um, that, of course, the history of Germany knows within Christianity, Christianity uh, such as the Prussian Union, that attempted to merge the confessional Lutheran position with the Reformed position, was simply unsatisfactory and unacceptable for Sasa. It was for him. And he said that every kind of compromise will always lead to the victory of the Reformed in the end. And I think he was right in that regard. Like nowadays, if you would ask the standard German, if he even knows about something about communion, he probably would say that Protestants believe Jesus is not really there, while Catholics have like this weird magical thing going on where they believe he's really there. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the end, the reform position uh, like took over the, the German state church. So he was um, prophetic in in that yeah. sense. Yeah, I think he was in a lot of ways ahead of his times. Mm -hmm. He was with uh, National Socialism, but he also was was with his understanding of the church and mm -hmm. his warning against reformed, or maybe his warning against the middling of um, denominations. Right, although. What I really appreciate about him, um, he he was never hostile against other denominations. He was very well read. He had a lot of friends that were in other denominations, um, and he he worked a lot at uh, ecumenical like meetings worldwide. Um, he and he always stayed in touch with people, but it was important for him to to stick to the confessions. I love that balance that he represents. I I try to emulate that balance. Uh, in fact, one of the books on my in my library from Sasa is in regards to unionism. And so he was able to warn against, you know, the merging of teaching and worship with a different confession. But still, as you're describing, um, apart from the worship, he was constructive in his relationship with other Christians. Yeah. And I think that it was not always an easy position for him because he often was very lonely in his life because yeah. this, on the one hand, he could, I think he could be very um, strong-headed, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but he was always very nuanced, and that sometimes um, made it hard for him to, to fit into boxes and uh, to fit into groups. But I think that's a little bit why he's so successful now to, today, that he influenced so many theologians worldwide, in Germany, in the United States, yeah. in Australia, because he yeah, was prophetic in a way that he saw things that other people didn't see. For whatever reason, in America, uh, more people are aware of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, you were sharing a little bit, a bit with me before in the car about the fact that uh, Sasa and Bonhoeffer knew each other. Yeah. Would you tell us about that relationship a little bit? Yeah, they both uh, were theologians in Berlin. So 
we don't know too much whether they already knew each other while they were studying, but uh, as they both did their PhDs there, they probably ran into each mm -hmm. other. What we know for sure then that um, both Sasse and Bonhoeffer very early were critical of uh, Hitler, and they were um, asked to write a Lutheran a Lutheran paper, I probably would say, um, against uh, Hitler and the Nazis. What was that called? The Bethel Confession. Um, they, they wrote that, but a lot of people thought it was too Lutheran, so mm. they edited it down. And then later, um, the more uh, well-renowned one is, is the Barman Confession, um, that became then the confession of the Confessing Church, the, the group that organized against the Nazis. It was less Lutheran and it more, was more reformed. reformed. Yeah, and for that reason, um, Zass in the end didn't subscribe it, so he was part of the, the, the meetings and preparations to, 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 to get it on paper. But Bonhoeffer did. Bonhoeffer did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I am, I'm a great admirer of both theologians, but uh, it is clear to me in the writings of Sasa, that he is the one who is more confessional in holding to his work always being founded upon and referring back to the Lutheran confessions. Bonhoeffer's a brilliant theologian, but he does not cite as much as Sasa does the confessions. Indeed, there's a little bit of the difference. There's maybe also the situation in in life, um, that's I had kind of like this conversion to Lutheranism and mm -hmm. was very particular about it. I don't think that mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer had it to, to such a degree. Mm -hmm. Also, Bonhoeffer then was very much involved uh, with um, training theologians um, in like these secret seminaries that they had at the time by yeah. the Confessing Church, while Zasse was working at a at state university. Mm -hmm. Maybe also that shaped a little bit their, their perspectives there. Yeah. I think um, Bonhoeffer so was also influenced by um, universities in Eastern United States and before he went back to Germany. Indeed, actually, yeah. um, uh, Bonhoeffer read a paper by Zasse when Zasse described his experience in the United States, mm -hmm. American Christianity, it was called, mm -hmm. and Zasse read it as preparation to, before he went then to the United States. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, amazing. They, 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 they had a yeah. few points where they met. Their lives. Two great servants of God, but uh, thanks you know, in regards to what we have here before us, uh, just an invaluable contribution by Herman Sasa. Well, I'm, I'm glad, thank you for sharing what you have. Uh, besides what you've already shared, is there anything else that you feel that, that we should be aware of when it comes to this great theologian, what he's offered us? Yeah, there's one thing that uh, I think is really interesting about Sasa is and that he was uh, such a strong defender of the confessions, mm -hmm. but he was always very careful in particular to distinguish between scripture and the confessions. Uh, there's one quote by from him that I really like where he says, God could have given us a perfect dogmatic or the perfect confessions. Instead, he gave us the scriptures yeah. with a bunch of variety, you know, mm -hmm. with, with like sometimes also seemingly contradictions that mm -hmm. we have. And Zasa always said that there was not an accident. The Holy Spirit yeah. didn't uh, do a mistake there. Yeah, um, that's so And good. so Zasa was, I think because he he had an experience with uh, national socialism, he was very critical of perfect systems. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, and I think we should be too. If someone comes to you and says, "I have all the pro answers that you're looking for," red flag. You you should be careful. And and yeah. and Zasa um, <laughs> pointed that out. Um, and. There's a, a quote by uh, Tim Keller that I really like, um, mm -hmm. where he says, God um, didn't give us a, um, a watertight system of beliefs, mm -hmm. but he gave us a watertight person, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And that's actually also something that says, that he says, we always should remember 
truth is not um, a set of beliefs that we hold to, but truth is a person that holds us. That's wonderful. It's Jesus Christ. It's back to the person of the Lord. I think that's also really helpful in, in our times, which mm -hmm. many people have, like, I very individualistic and a little bit afraid of mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. They want to be unique. Mm -hmm. When we as Lutherans have to say, okay, um, total individualism leads you in the end in loneliness. Yeah. So sometimes you have to stick to a community yes. and you need to support of others. But we also aware that in the end, um, the truth we are holding to is a person that gave his life for us. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I mentioned to you in preparation for today's uh, program that uh, we do have uh, a, one last subject I'd like to talk to you about, and, and that is um, the subject matter of holy vocation. Uh, I just had the privilege with the support of my congregation um, to, to write my third book. It's called Faith That Shines in the Culture, How Jesus Calls Christians to Live in Family, Church, and State. Um, CPH gave me permission to uh, ask certain potential endorsers. So I've asked my son-in-law to read the book. <laughs> and um, so he'll, he'll be checking that out for me. But in the book, it talks about the importance of our callings. Um, first of all, our most important calling from God to be baptized children of God in Christ, which I refer to as the vertical call from God, singular call, which then uh, reflects in our horizontal calls within our lives in the three estates of family, church, and state. And I wanted to take this opportunity because we, you and I have a lot of over, overlap when it comes to the estate of family, because we share family, and also the state of the church. Um, and this interesting balance of being a husband, being a father, and being a pastor. And uh, there is um, a very uh, personal account that my wife, Tracy, gave me permission to share uh, in the book that is coming out. Um, CPH uh, projects a release in November of this year, 2023. But, um, and I'll let you read the story if you get the book, you can check it out. But uh, essentially what happened was uh, after we were married and we were, you know, becoming established as a family, a young family, uh, and I started as a pastor I started to work too much. I was becoming a workaholic. Um, and I was, I don't know if I was more or less aware of this rationale, but it was at least in the background that, well, why not? I mean, after all, I am now a, uh, a servant of God in the office of the Holy Ministry, doing God's work, giving God's people his saving word and sacraments. What could be more important than that? And what happened was it was not good for my marriage. It was not good for my family. And God took that opportunity to teach me about the need to have a balance. Um, but furthermore, as I advocate in this book that's being released uh, in November, God willing, is that there's actually a priority of vocations as well. And uh, the priority for us is at first we are husbands. I mean, well, after the priority of the vertical call as a child of God, baptizing Christ, but after that, what you and I have in common is first we're husbands. So I get to take care of my most important neighbor on earth, Tracy, and you get to take care of my dear daughter, who's your most important neighbor, Danielle. And uh, by the way, I see how you treat her and how you provide for her. I'm very, very happy that my daughter has you as her husband. Thank you for the way you, you care for her. Um, 
And then you and I have the next priority to be fathers to our children. Um, they're our next most important neighbors. And then as a priority to be pastors, uh, to take care of the flock that God has put under our care. How important is that perspective and that balance in your opinion, now that you've been out for a few years and you're, you're living in that balance? When I read that section in your book, I had to smile a little bit because I think that's what every young pastor goes through. Um, and it's tough. Uh, I, I wish I, I had the perfect answer, um, mm -hmm. but I would say it's it's always a struggle, especially when, once you have children, um, because then your life gets so much more more crazy. And I really appreciate what, what you uh, say in your book that not just a job is a vaca vacation, but there's all kinds of vacation. Even if you don't have a job, you have um, vac vacations in your life um, that God uses so that you spread his love and his forgiveness and his light in the world. Um, I think that really helped me to uh, refocus. Um, I personally, um, I think from a lot of older pastors, I heard regret. I think that was a little bit like, like um, that, that generation, you know, you know, like you gave everything for your work and work always was number one, family came second. And I think it's so tempting that when you're a pastor, you have so much more rational to, to be like that, you know, that you're doing God's work and that you have, really have to help the people. And, you know, then you get a call and oh, you have to help the church member. And, oh, then there's that person you want to reach. Um, and then, and this is my experience. As a pastor, your work is never done, right? You never um, leave the desk and say, okay, that, <laughs> I, I got it all done for today. There's always something you still could do. Um, so, so that's a little bit of a challenge. So to me, I think what's, what's helpful a little bit for me is like living in a, in a culture uh, where Christianity is n not an automatic given anymore. Then really helped me to shape the perspective that I as a father have also responsibility to, for my family, that I want to live certain values for them. I want to um, teach them certain things for their lives. So then therefore I have to be around. Um, I think that that helped me personally a little bit to also justify uh, not working so much, but but spending time with the kids. You know, usually I I bring them to bed at our place because Danielle has them the whole day, so she's really tired in the evening. And then it's my job to get them ready for bed and then to pray with them to, to read them a portion of scripture. Well, I also wanted to add, and I'm I'm not trying to. Um, anyway, I was just speaking the truth. I I've also witnessed you with my grandchildren and I can see you just, you've been blessed with an outstanding bond with them. They, they know they're loved by their father. Um, they jump all over you and cling to you and they laugh with you and they, they can cry with on you and they know you're there. And, uh, I rejoice for that gift because it's not easy. I mean, this, this balance that we're talking about and, and thank you for, for mentioning the fact that being in this office means that we're we're never done, but for us to get it through our thick heads to go, it, it it's not for us to have it done. It's for us to live the faith that we're preaching, that we walk away, and it's only the Lord who causes any growth, who causes any healing, who causes any hope. So we need to live out what we preach and let it go, and hold our wives. And I I put in the quotation uh, by Luther, um, I think it's in volume 19 of the American edition regarding the Sermon on the Mount, but 
he, he refers to Matthew 25 and he identifies uh, the least of these to be the children in the household, our most important little neighbors. And uh, when, when I read that, I was just, I was blown away. I mean, uh, we have a very astute um, professor in the LCMS today who makes a, a very impressive argument that the least of these might be pastors in the ministry. But Luther was bold to say, there, there are children. And uh, you think about those that you're there for when they're sick, when they need clothing, when they're hungry. Um, that's your first church. And of course, that's true whether you're a pastor or not, right? And that's that the priority of this ministry is indispensable. I think it's, a, it's valuable today because in our American culture, Pastor Volkmar, we're really uh, suffering from an excessive individualism. You mentioned Timothy Keller, and this is his diagnosis um, of the situation. And this excessive individualism is making everything about what is my pleasure, what is my benefit, and if I don't see children being beneficial to what I want for my gratification, then I won't even have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But God blesses us to know what life is all about by having a family, if we're permitted to have a family. By the way, I also have a section, a chapter in the book about singleness and the importance of singles in our lives, who are never single, by the way, when they're in the Lord and in his church. But um, I'm, I'm glad that... Um, you and I can relate to these things. And uh, one of the things that we talk about in that book is the fact that if we are being faithful in vocation, then it means that we are, we will, we must endure a cross. We have to. And if we are, as painstaking as that may be, thanks be to God because we are that much more being made into conformity with Christ. So I, I'm just, um, I'm glad we can talk. I'm just very thankful that you are my daughter's husband and my grandchildren's father. Um, it's been great having you guys. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to keep getting to know the youngest one, Lucas. I mean, he is all smiles and it's a great kid. When you were talking about how important the kids are, like how that, that as the little ones, the most important ones to God. It reminded me of something my professor once um, said uh, to me and a group of other students, and I thought it was so obnoxious at the time, being a young student. He, he said something like that he really learned about grace and forgiveness once he became a father. I was like, oh, gosh, that's such a cliche thing to say. <laughs> like, that's dumb. And it totally uh, it changed since, since I myself uh, am a father because uh, you'll, you'll learn so much about grace and forgiveness uh, once you're a parent. Um, so true. There's so many. I mean, you, you described how, how well I treat the kids. That's not always the case. You know, and there's so many moments where you're just annoyed, very tired, and they don't behave, and you snap. Yeah. Yeah. So you really learn a lot about your own failures as a, as a parent and about the, the forgiveness you need there. Then they're not yeah. always sweet. You learn that quickly, you know, siblings can be pretty mean to each other. And uh, we, we actually have that. It's, it's really interesting. Our, our kids don't like to say they're sorry. They're really ashamed about it. Um, so we just started that we say, we ask for forgiveness for each other. 
you know that that's usually awesome. and then uh, when, really when one kid hurt the other and do you want to say you're sorry mm -mm. <laughs> and then i take them and i kind of yeah you know the same way christ brings us to the altar i i yeah. uh, carry my kid then to the other kid and we forgive each other that's fantastic yeah yeah so so i think yeah. it, it really humbles you and and then the, yeah it really teaches you a lesson about grace being a parent the other thing i see is um is what i see in my daughter in in her vocation and um I, I have tremendous respect for all my daughters. Um, they're all, all five of my daughters are very, very hard workers. Um, I, th I think of all five of them in any instance, and these gals, they know how to work. They, they don't mess around. Um, but of the five, uh, the one who's most consistently uh, in emulation of Tracy, you know, the, the, the stay-at-home mother, uh, who in these cases are the domestic engineers who are taking care of the children 24-7 and who are the pastor's wives. Um, my experience has been that, um, well, I understand what St. Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's better for a man not to marry. <laughs> um, I understand that for me, it's been much, much better for this man to be married to Tracy. Um, she has not only made me a better man, she's made me a better pastor. Um, and God gave me the perfect fit for me to do what, what I do. I couldn't, I just, I can't even imagine trying to do it without her. And I see Danielle taking on that role in your life. Um, I really see her taking seriously how important it is to support you and what you do. Indeed. It also has to do with the fact that we are lucky enough that uh, we can live on one salary. Um, because uh, their um, standards of living, they're not as expensive in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it is, it is such a good support yeah. to, ha to have a wife. And you also learn there a lot about grace and forgiveness, I think. Yes. I always thought yeah. that I'm such a calm, yeah. well-tempered guy. Of course. Till I get married. <laughs> yeah. And then you really learn yeah. if you're living with someone 24-7, yeah. You really get to know yourself too. Inevitably. <laughs> In fact, oh. they get to know us better than we know ourselves. And for the fact that they would continue to pour grace on us, knowing us better than anyone else, really speaks to their grace yeah. and their love. And uh, I have, I've told certain people that no one has taught me forgiveness better than Tracy has. She's been God's instrument of that. And... Uh, Danielle, all of my children are very, very special to me, and they're all so different. The five daughters are completely different. Uh, Danielle, um, she has such a, a special place in my heart. Um, she's, she's strong. She's, she's tough. Um, but also, she is very, very compassionate um, and loving at the same time. She has that combination. She's almost like, it's almost as if she's like half German and half Mexican. She is. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a very impressive combination yeah. that way, you know. Um, so um, anyway, I praise God for your faithfulness and holy vocation. I know that's only by his grace that we can be standing. And um, I thank God for your ministry. And I'm glad that we're partners in that ministry. And the Zalk and the LCMS have so much in common. Um, so... You know, I'm very, you know, and I want you to know that I, I thank God that you are where you are. I know God has 
placed you where he, he wants you to be. And sometimes you hear me joking about, you know, well, we, we should find a call for you out here. But in all sincerity, I, I do praise God that you are where you are. Uh, no, circumstances happen. The, the Lord opened up a door for you to come. I'm not going to complain, but I, I'm glad that you're doing that work. And I hope that you'll let me and my congregation know if there's anything we can ever do in our prayers for you or any aspect of our fellowship, we would love to connect. As a, as a matter of fact, right before we started today's show, uh, Elder Brad Perry mentioned that he'd love to tour Germany. And so I, I think we need to maybe get a congregational trip together and go out your way and, uh, you know, travel the steps of Luther and visit Pastor Folkmar. We have a lot of place in our sanctuary, so you can bring a lot of people. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I hear you have good beer in Germany, too. We have really good beer. Outstanding. Although, you know what? I really like IPAs. We don't have them so much over there. Okay. Bring me bring me a six-pack IPAs. You got it. I could do that. Yeah, we can bring some of that for you. And I, we're also appreciative of your cars and good car, you know, and your contribution to football, as you call it. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for joining us um, on Light of the World. We rejoice that you were with us today. We hope to have you again. In the meantime, the Lord be with you. Bye-bye.